Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here at our Southwood campus. Uh, And welcome to Grace. If you're new here, uh, you're joining us here at the very end of a short little three-week series that we've been walking through what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. This is a teaching that Jesus gave to his followers in Matthew chapter six, uh, where he is essentially giving them sort of a, a launch pad or a blueprint, an example of how to pray. Because when we read scripture, we understand that prayer is a discipline, that prayer is a practice that should be uh, natural and consistent in the life of every believer, in the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. We should be consistently in prayer, speaking to our God and listening to him, right? God wants to hear our our needs, and he wants to hear our thanksgiving, and he wants us to listen for his instruction and for his wisdom. And so even though there are times where we might be tempted to see prayer as an obligation or or some some sort of just sort of ritual that we go through because we think we're supposed to, uh, Jesus Christ is very clear, all of scripture is very clear that prayer is actually a relational connection that we have with our heavenly father. And so we come to him and we express to him uh, our dependence, right? Humility and, and, and the willingness to submit our lives to his direction. That's what prayer is ultimately for. And so what we saw over the last two weeks, the first week we saw that Jesus began by essentially giving uh, his followers instruction in how to not pray. Like he showed them uh, and kind of illustrated for them how there are some people that go through some of these religious practices uh, for the sake of the approval, or the affirmation of other people. And Jesus is like, don't do that, right? Like, don't do that. Don't pray like that. Uh, before this passage, he says, don't, don't give in this certain way. Don't After this, he's gonna say, don't fast like those people that are looking for the approval of man. He says, this is a relational connection between you and the Lord. Prayer is personal. Last week, we saw that the first kind of three requests that Jesus outlined that he gave as an example for his followers is that they should ask the Lord for his name to be glorified, for his plan to be accomplished, for his kingdom to be brought to earth, for his will to be done, right? So we're, we're praying and asking the Lord to move in a powerful, mighty way, right, as only he can. But here at the end of his example prayer, at the end of what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is going to outline kind of what do we pray for for ourselves, right? And not in a selfish way, but, but we are recognizing essentially at the end here our dependence on the Lord for his provision. Jesus is, again, he's, it's all in this relational uh, sort of context that Jesus is telling his followers that we have to remember that we use prayer to remind ourselves that we are fully dependent on our Father, right? And this is something that we see and even just our relationships with other people, right? Growing up, at some point, all of us were children, right? That's, I can say that pretty certainly, that every single person here at one point was a small child. And when you're a little kid, like you are fully dependent on your parents. Like that's, that's something that just happens on, you know, and we have uh, experiences and stories to tell and maybe our parents did, were wonderful and always, you know, provided many great ways and maybe some of us had difficult backgrounds where our parents weren't always there for us. But either way, when you're small, when you're a little kid, like your dependence on other people is readily apparent. And what Jesus is gonna be explaining is that that dependence that we have on our parents or on other people or maybe now, even as we're older, our dependence on friends or other family, says that dependence is always there between ourselves and our God, right? But I see this play out even in my family, not just when I was a little kid that I was dependent, but now that I am a father, uh, now that I've been a father for eight years, I see this play out all the time with my kids, that they are fully dependent 
on me. And they recognize it as well. Uh, when just this past week, like we had an evening, it was like Monday or Tuesday night, as we were wrapping up bedtime, our youngest, our four-year-old, uh, he like told me, he was like, my tummy doesn't feel good. And that's like, that's not how you want to start the night. Like that's generally not a great like uh, opening to, to the evening events. Um, but we were, my wife and I were like, well, you know, you were, you just chugged like a gallon of milk and you were jumping around. So like there's probably something going on, but you're going to be okay. Just lay, you know, take a sip of water, stretch out on your bed. You, you'll feel better soon. We, you know. Uh, that was a lie. He didn't. Um, because instead, about an hour after that, my wife and I were still up and I heard him crying from his room. And so my wife and I, we rushed back to his room. We opened the door and we discovered that our four-year-old was standing like kind of just on the other side of his door, right at the entrance of his room. Uh, he's standing there. He's sobbing. He's upset and he's wet. And so is his door and so is the wall and so is the floor because he had expelled all of his stomach, like all over the entrance of his room. And that happens, right? It's, it's a thing. It's part of life. And so we try to calm him down. We, like, we start cleaning everything up. We you know, give him a quick bath. We clean him up. We try to calm him down. And uh, we're like, hey, you know, oh, man, buddy, I know that's, that hurts. That feels really bad. But um, you know, let's, hopefully that's it. You got it all out. I mean, it looks like you got it all out. So, uh, but just in case you didn't, right, here's a trash can. We put you know, a little plastic trash can next to his bed. We're like, if you feel like you need to throw up again, like, Go ahead and use this trash can. Use the trash can to throw up. And then after you do that, like if you can't get to the bathroom, you need to use the trash can, come and find us, right? Like come and tell us because mom would love to come help you, right? Like if that happens. Um, so, but we're like, surely that was it, right? Surely. No, uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't over because about an hour and a half after that, uh, we're in bed and I hear him crying again in his room. So I get out of bed, I rush to his room, open the door, and I find him. He's standing in the exact same spot. And I also discover uh, that apparently he has a second stomach uh, that had not been cleared out. Because I was like, dude, you had to have emptied the first stomach out. Like, you've got a secret compartment inside of you because it was just, man, it was just a mess all over again. So we go through the process, clean him up, clean everything out, uh, you know, calm him down, get him into bed. And as I'm putting him in bed, I was just, you know, trying to, you know, try to analyze the situation. I was like, hey, did you, did you just like forget? Did you forget that you had this trash can? Like right here, did you forget about it? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay. Uh, I would have rather that you did, right? But uh, so what happened? Like, why didn't you use trash can? And he's like, well, he's like, I thought, I thought you said that I needed to come to you first. Like, that you wanted me to come and tell you and get you to help me, like, before, I, like, first. I was like, that is so sweet, right? It's very wrong, um, but... Very sweet. And it was one of those moments where I, you know, it was, it was, it was really sweet that he recognized like what he had latched onto, what he was holding onto fast in his mind was that I need my parents, like I need mom and I need dad to help me in this situation when I'm not feeling good. And, and it's a dependency that really is just so evident in a small child. And that's why Jesus, is part of why I think Jesus loved children and why he would tell his followers that, that blessed are children, that blessed are, are people who have hearts like children because children, you know, there's a lot of reasons Jesus made that statement, but part of it was that he recognized that these children, they have this absolute dependency, that that is actually a great trait, that this recognition of our own inability, our dependency on someone else, that, that's a good thing. God has made us to be dependent on himself. 
And so when Jesus talks about prayer, he's going to be very clear in that we are dependent on our Father. So we ask him for things, and our Father wants to provide. He wants to give good gifts. And so when Jesus explains this kind of at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he's gonna lay out three key requests that we should be making to the Lord on a regular basis. The first is that we are asking the Lord for his provision, that we're daily asking him to provide for our needs. We're also asking the Lord to provide peace, that to forgive us our sin, to help us forgive others, that we would have peace with God, but that we would also have peace with one another. And then finally, he's gonna say that we should be asking the Lord for protection, protection against the trials and the temptations in our world, right? And so as we bring these requests to the Lord, we trust that he hears us and that he answers, right? So this is where he starts. If you'll turn with me in Matthew chapter six, if you wanna go there in your Bible or go there on your phone, Matthew chapter six, we're starting in verse 11, where Jesus is, you know, he's right in the middle of this prayer. As I said, he's already kind of talked through these requests for, the, for our God's name to be honored, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. And then in verse 11, he says this. He says, we should pray that we, or we pray, God, give us today our daily bread, right? Short and sweet. And right here, what Jesus is laying out, this principle, is that we should be asking the Lord for our daily necessities. We should be asking Him for what we need. The historical context of this is Jesus is speaking to people who very, very many of them, they lived this sort of hand-to-mouth life where they would, they had day laborers that you would go out, you'd do your job, you'd work in a field or work, you know, in a wherever, and you'd, you'd do your work for the day and you would receive your wage that day. You didn't have a, you know, two-week pay stub. Like, they gave you the, the coin, they gave you the, the payment for that day's work and you needed to use that. Like, you needed that daily wage in order to buy the necessities for your life, like you needed that money to buy food for yourself or for your family. And so Jesus is speaking to people that are very familiar, that day to day, like they were at the you know, mercy of being paid, they were, they were dependent on this regular provision that if you got hurt or if you got sick, if you didn't work for a few days, like you were in danger or your family was in danger. And so Jesus says, when you are walking through life and as you recognize your need for necessities, you should be asking your heavenly father to provide them. So we humbly approach the father and we say, God, I, I need you to give me today my daily bread, to give me my necessities. As one scholar put it, he says, that we're, we're bringing to the Lord our needs, but not our greeds, right? I think Jesus is intentional. He's not saying you ask the father for anything and he provides it because what he's focused on here is what we actually need. It's not always what we want. And sometimes we, we kind of blur the line and we think like, well, I do really need this thing or I need that thing. And, and sometimes that's true and other times it's not. Sometimes we don't actually know what we need, but our Father in heaven does. That's what's so beautiful. That's what we saw earlier in Matthew 6, what we saw when we walked through James earlier this spring, that our Father in heaven, he knows what we need and he is faithful to provide. He just wants us to depend on him and to ask him for that provision. And so, because, again, it's, it's in line with his heart. We're not convincing God to provide for us. He wants to provide. He's just, the prayer for his provision is for our sake, not for his. He's not surprised by what we need. Uh, he knows, but he wants us to depend on him in humility and ask him for that provision. But again, it's focused on what we need. Later in this chapter, Jesus is gonna talk about how uh, his followers don't need to worry about the food that they eat, the clothing that they wear, that they wear the shelter they need over their heads. He says, 
the Lord knows what you need, and he points to the birds in the sky. He says, look at the birds. Like, they don't build warehouses for their grain. Like, they don't have these big, you know, 401ks and, like, investment plans. He says, but God takes care of them. He provides for them. He says, and you are so much more valuable than birds. So don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. Tomorrow can worry about itself. You worry about today, and you ask the Lord to walk with you, to provide for you as only he can, because God knows what we need. But again, sometimes we get, we get a little mixed up and we think, well, maybe God doesn't really wanna provide because I didn't get this thing that I wanted or this, my expectations have not yet been met in this situation or in that relationship or in this career path. But, but when those times come, we should be able to recognize that, well, if, if God didn't provide it, it's because God has a better awareness, a better perspective, better understanding of what I actually need. When those things don't manifest, it's, it's not something that should lead me to doubt in the goodness of God. It should instead drive me to further dependence on him. It should strengthen my faith, not, not shake it, because God knows what we need. I, I see this with my kids. I saw our oldest is eight, but she, uh, when she was like two or three years old, she had this phase where she, we would walk into a store and she would just start pointing us stuff. We'd be at Target and we'd be walking past the toys and she's like, I want that. Like, I want that for my birthday. I want that for Christmas. Like, I want that. I want that. Like, gas station stores, wherever. Like, she would just make sure we knew exactly what she wanted. And so we had multiple conversations with her to talk about, hey, you know, darling, like, there's some things that you want, um, but then there's other things that you need. And we will give you what you need. We promise we will give you what you need. We're not always gonna give you what you want. There's a big difference there. There's things you want and there's things you need. They're not always the same. And so she heard it, you know, and, and internalized it and applied it in a really wonderful way because soon after that, after having that conversation a few times, we'd walk through stores, go through a gas station or whatever, and she would start, she was still pointing around, but she'd say, I need that, right? Like, she's like, yeah, okay. I see the game we're playing, right? I need that stuff, Paw Patrol, for my birthday. Like, I need, I need that. And I, again, we would have to then have the conversation of like, look, like, you don't actually need that. Like, I need that. Like, no, that's motor oil, right? Like, you have no practical application for that right now. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not what you need. In the same way, we bring to the Lord our needs, but we trust that when we don't receive something that we want, when an expectation is missed, it shouldn't be something that, that leads us to doubt. It should be something that, that spurs us towards deeper faith in our God, because our faith, our trust, is not in the quality of our circumstance. Our trust, our faith, is in the character of our God. This is what James gets at in chapter four. He speaks about prayer. Uh, we read through this, you know, a couple months ago when we walked through the book of James. But he says that you desire and you do not have, so you murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and you fight. He says, why is there conflict amongst you? He says, because you have these unmet desires and expectations. And so you hate each other and you're envious of one another and you quarrel, you have these battles, you have these wars amongst each other. He's speaking to believers, right? He says you are fighting with your brothers and sisters in Christ because you don't get what you want. He says, but you do not have sometimes because you do not ask. And other times you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you can spend it on your passions. And the truth is that all of us fall into one of these categories all the time. Like we, we, we slip into these boats over and over and over again. Either we don't have because we're not coming to the Lord and asking him to provide. And we doubt God's goodness to provide because we don't have this thing, but, but then we maybe look back and think, did I ever actually pray? 
that this relationship would be restored? Did I ask the Lord to, to move in this way, to work through these details? Did I ask him for that? James is saying sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't ask. God is ready to provide, and yet we're not asking him for that provision. Other times, we do ask, but we're coming into it with this twisted motive. We're not actually seeking to, to live according to the Lord's will, but instead, we're just seeking after our own glory, our own you know, benefit, this selfish desire, this passion that we have, and that's why we're asking the Lord for whatever it is that we want. Right? And we all are susceptible to this. And whether or not we're, we're, ask, we're failing to ask or whether we're asking in the wrong way, I think sometimes, or a lot of times what this comes out of is this part of us that really wants to be self-sufficient, that wants to really believe that I know what's best for me, that I can get what I, what I want and what I need on my own, right? We value independence and we value uh, being able to you know, pull ourselves up and prove ourselves. And scripture tells us, right, the wisdom of God is, yes, we should be, uh, we should work hard and we should be wise. Like, yeah, we should be responsible stewards with the time and the energy that God has given to us, with the resources that he's entrusted to our care. That is true. But our diligence, which is godly, which is wise, our diligence should never replace our dependence. Our diligence should never push out a, a sense or a humility of dependence on the Lord. God says, I want you to be responsible, but I want you to be reliant on me every day. So we pray, God, give me this daily bread. For us practically, maybe that means that when we wake up in the morning, we say, God, I need you today. It can be that simple. Well, we're prompting ourselves. It's a habit that we can build, a discipline that we can develop of saying, God, I need you. Or maybe we look at our calendar for the week or the semester and we say, God, I'm gonna, I need you. <laughs> I need you to move. I need you to guide me. I need your wisdom and your direction. Or maybe we're stepping into a hard conversation, we're stepping into a meeting and we say, God, I, I need you. I need you in this moment. And simply submitting ourselves to the Lord, confessing our need for him, God is faithful to give, he's faithful to provide. But we need to approach him in humility, in dependency. And so God says, or Jesus says, I want you to pray for this daily provision. He says, you should also be praying for God's peace. Read with me in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. Now the debt in view here is sin. It's clear in the Greek that he's speaking to sin. It's not a financial debt, but it's a moral debt. And so he says, regularly, consistently, you're coming to the Lord and you're asking him, God, I need you to forgive me of the ways that I have wronged you, right? That's what sin is. It's missing the mark of perfection. It's stepping outside of the will and the commands of God in the things that we think or say or do. And so Jesus says, I want you to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And as you ask the Lord for forgiveness, so too, as you receive his forgiveness, you then extend that forgiveness to others, that you forgive the people that have wronged you. Right, and Jesus is actually gonna elaborate on this a few verses later. We're skipping 13. We'll come back to it. But look with me in verse 14. He's elaborating on that statement in verse 12. He says, for if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Now, at first read, right, at first glance, this feels strange and maybe even problematic where in, in, in some ways we could look at this and again, at first glance, we might think, is, am I like, I'm earning God's forgiveness by extending his forgiveness to others? And that's 
that could not be further from the truth, right? Jesus is not saying that. Uh, he's very clear in his ministry and other spots. The scripture itself is very clear that forgiveness from God is obtained once and for all through our faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's the beauty of our gospel, that we were all dead in our sin, that we were all in open rebellion against God who made us and who loves us, that we were all in the midst of our, our rebellion, of our trespass, of our sin, of our fault and our mistakes and our failure. While we're in the midst of that, we're in the middle, we're dead. Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that none of us could ever live. And then he died the death that we deserve, right? He paid this price of blood that is required to atone, to cover sin. And so even though he lived that perfect life, he died the death that we deserved. But then he rose on the third day and he proved his power and authority over the sin, over the guilt, over the shame, over death itself. He says, I am greater, I'm more powerful. I have authority over those things. I have achieved victory over sin and over death. And so he says, if you call on me, you'll be saved. If you call on me, you can be free from the sin and the shame and the death that, that otherwise held you captive. And suddenly, if by simply trusting in the name of Jesus Christ, not by our works, so we, none of us can boast, but by the grace of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be adopted out of sin and death and brought into the family of God as the sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. That is our gospel. That's the power of God's grace and mercy. It's not something we earned. It's not something we achieved. Forgiveness from God is given to us as a gift through faith, through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. It's done. And we're justified. That's the, the biblical term. We're justified, which means that we are declared righteous in the eyes of the Lord. So when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our mistakes. He doesn't see our failure. Instead, he sees us as people who have been redeemed, bought out of the slavery of sin, and brought into his family. That's, that's the promise of our gospel. That's the work that was finished on the cross, right? But as we receive forgiveness from God, we enter into this relationship with him. And so what Jesus is speaking to here, and he speaks to it later in the book of Matthew when he talks about how you should forgive just as you've been forgiven, is what he's speaking to is if just as we receive God's forgiveness through faith. He says, we maintain our relationship, our healthy relationship with him through confession, repentance, and forgiving others. That even though our relationship it is secure, it's, it's, it will never be invalidated. It can be never, you know, it's never like retroactively taken away. He says, to have a healthy relationship with your father, you need to be a person who shows the same grace that you've been shown. You know grace, so you show grace, right? You've experienced forgiveness, therefore you extend forgiveness. That's how we maintain fellowship with the Lord. We, we receive forgiveness from him once and done if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. But we maintain fellowship with him by walking according to his purpose, by walking according to his will. And his will, his desire for us is that as far as it depends on you, that you would pursue peace with everyone, that we would be peacemakers, that we would be people who, who extend forgiveness. It's what Jesus told a parable about in Matthew 18. It says that there were two servants, and the first servant, he was released of this huge debt against their, their boss. But then that same servant who'd been forgiven of this enormous debt, he went and found another guy who owed him an incredibly small debt. 
And this, this servant who'd been forgiven, he held it against this other guy, the other servant. He literally like throttles him, like starts choking him and throws him into prison because he owes him uh, this really tiny debt. And so the master becomes deeply upset with the first servant saying, how could you not forgive after you've been forgiven? Jesus gives this instruction to his followers, says you've been forgiven. If you fail to see the need to forgive other people, you're probably failing to see the need to be forgiven. You're, you're failing to grasp the enormity of God's grace and mercy for you. And so to, res- to maintain a healthy relationship, we need to forgive, right? This is something, if I am you know, living as a husband and a father, my relationship with my wife is gonna be strained if I am just perpetually bitter against one of our kids because they spilled their milk. And that's like, if I was just holding on to that and I was refusing to forgive them, my relationship with my wife would probably become strained. It, It wouldn't mean that we were no longer married or we were never married to begin with, but there would be a strain and a fracturing in that relationship because I'm allowing bitterness and unforgiveness to rule in my heart. Our Father in heaven says, I care about the way you treat one another. Jesus says, if you're bringing an offering to the Lord and you realize on your way to the altar that you have this like beef with, this other, with a brother, he says, you drop your offering right where you are and you go make things right with that brother. And then you come back and you perform your sacrifice to the Lord. Why? Because God cares deeply about how his children treat one another. So we pray for peace from God, not just that we would be in right relationship with him, confessing our sin, but that we would forgive one another. And what's beautiful is that our Father, he wants to forgive us, right? He wants to make that relationship as healthy as it possibly can be. God wants to have this intimacy with us. He's ready and willing to forgive us daily. Again, not because those sins remain unforgiven until we ask, Jesus died once and for all for all the sin of the world, past, present, and future. But as we come to the Lord and confess our sin to him, it's for our sake. God's not surprised and like, you did what? Like that's, it's not for him. It's for us. And it helps us remember our dependence on him for forgiveness, for peace. Right, it's the same reason that when my kids have conflict with one another, like my wife and I, every single time that they have conflict, I mean just yesterday, our two boys, they had a little conflict. One of them said a mean thing to the other one. And so I said, hey, what do, you, what do you need to go say? What do you need to go say to your brother? So he walked over to his big brother. He goes, I'm sorry I said blah, blah, blah. And, you know, will you forgive me for da, da, da. And, and that's beautiful. And then they have to hug and they tell each other best friends forever. And it's awesome. I love it. Um, not the conflict, but the resolution. But it's for their sake because they need to recognize, hey, you're going to, hurt each other and you're gonna make mistakes and you need to have the humility to to confess that to one another and we need the humility to confess that to our Lord and it's for our sake. It's not that his older brother is gonna withhold forgiveness until it's asked for but instead it's for the sake of the one who wronged needs to bring that to light, right? But there's a, and, and this is what's amazing about our God, right? That he is ready and willing to forgive at all times. This is what uh, the Apostle John spoke to in his, one of his letters. He says that if we say we do not bear the guilt of sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? He's like, don't fool yourself. Don't think that you're immune to failure. So that's, that's, you're deceiving yourself. There's no truth in that. He says, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous 
And he's continually forgiving us our sins. He's continually cleansing us from all unrighteousness. He says God wants a healthy relationship with us. He wants intimacy with us. So we need to confess our sins. We need to turn on the lights and bring it to the Lord and say, God, I need your forgiveness for X, Y, Z. But there's something that holds us back from that because there's a part of us that wants to be self-righteous. We, we, there's a part of us that wants to really believe that like, no, I'm okay. Like, I'm, I'm, I didn't do anything wrong. And we justify these decisions that we make. We justify the words that we say, the, the state of our attitude or our actions. And it takes humility and dependence on the Lord to really approach situations humbly asking for forgiveness from our God and from one another. And now there might be situations where we're not, we didn't do anything wrong, where just wrongs are committed against us. That happens for sure. I'm not discounting that. But there are many, many times where we want to convince ourselves that we're, we've done nothing wrong when in fact we have a share. We have a share. And so we need to be humble and, and confess to the Lord, confess to one another that we need forgiveness, right? But there's that part of us that, gosh, we just, we want to be right. I mean, it, multiple times, I can't tell you how many times, we tell, you know, our boys, I'm like, hey, you need, you know, something wrong has happened, little one upsets, you know, does something mean to the older one, and so I tell him, hey, what do you need to say? What do you need to go say to your brother? And he'll walk over and say, I forgive you. I'm like, mm, that's not, that's not what it was. Like, that's, no, like, you're, no, like, that's not, that was not the goal. But there's a part of us that wants to walk into every situation like that, and John is clear. He says, that's, you're, you're, you're deceiving yourself. We all have reasons to confess our sin. We all have mistakes we need to bring to the Lord, trusting that he's faithful to forgive, trusting that, that he loves us, will always love us no matter what, that we are secure in Christ. And, but to restore that fellowship, we, bring our, we confess our fault to him. Right? So for us, practically, it just means that we need to catch these things. We need to regularly be confessing our sin to the Lord, asking for him to, to provide his grace and his mercy and his peace for ourselves and for one another. All right, Jesus is gonna conclude, though, not just by talking about the peace that we receive from the Lord and the provision that he provides, uh, but also about the, perfect, the protection that he offers. So he says this in verse 13. Go back a couple verses. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so here Jesus is speaking to uh, this, this reality that, that we will face trial and difficulty and suffering and that as we face trial and suffering, that there's gonna be a part of us, there's gonna be an internal desire to step outside the will of God. That's what temptation is, right? Temptation is this desire to depart from the wisdom and direction of the Lord. And so what's so important to note is that as we step into those situations, we face trial and tribulation and, and suffering and difficulty, that God is there to protect us, that God is ready to deliver us from that temptation, to deliver us from the evil one, our, our spiritual enemy of Satan. Jesus is saying we should be praying that God would defend us and deliver us in those moments, Right? We, we talked about this when we went through the book of James, that the, the Greek term for temptation there, it's used interchangeably. Uh, I mean, it's, it's distinct in separate uses, but it's this one term that can either be used to describe temptation, that desire to sin against the Lord. It can also be described, or it can also be used to describe an external pressure. 
Right? So either way, like it's, and scholars are a little divided on, is Jesus talking about the temptation aspect or is he talking about the, the trial aspect? Either way, what Jesus is saying is that God wants to protect us, that he wants to protect us. And it's not selfish or wrong for us to ask for that protection, right? There's a part of us that's like, well, you know, like I know that I should count it as joy when I face trials of many kinds, right? That's what we also read in James, because God uses that trial to build my endurance and to strengthen my character, to deepen my faith in him. And that is true, but we don't need to be gluttons for punishment. Just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's holy, doesn't mean that it's what God desires for us. And we see this even in the life of Christ. When he's approaching the cross, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he offers this final prayer to his father and he says, God, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, if there's any other way to secure salvation for humanity, Let's do that. Like, that would be awesome. If I didn't have to suffer and die and be crucified, let's, let's go with plan B. But even as he asks for that, he says, but Father, ultimately, not my will, but yours be done. Right? But it wasn't wrong. It wasn't selfish of Jesus to ask to be spared that suffering. It, it was fully reasonable and justified but he recognized, as we should recognize, that even though we, can, we, are, we have full authority to ask for that defense, that sometimes God is going to allow us to still suffer. Sometimes God is still going to allow difficulty to hit us. And when that happens, it's a win, not an if, but when we face that struggle, when we face that trial, we acknowledge that, hey, again, my faith is not in the quality of my circumstance. My faith is in, the, is in the character of my God, and my God can use this difficulty for his glory and my good. He can do that. And so I ask for his protection, but when he allows me to suffer, I rejoice. And I say, God, I'm dependent on you to get through this. Right? He provides endurance for trial, but he also provides escape from temptation. Right? This is what Paul speaks to for the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, let the one who thinks he stands watch out that he does not fall, right? He says, all of you are susceptible to failure. Don't, don't fool yourself. Don't think that you're above sin. He says, for no temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. He says, don't think you're immune from sin or temptation, and also, don't think that you're like the only one. He says, this is a, just a plague for all of humanity. There's nothing new under the sun. These temptations have existed as long as sin has been in our world. He says, but God is faithful. This is the good news. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Sometimes God gives us a way through a trial that we would be strengthened, that our faith would be deepened. Other times, God provides a way out of a temptation. He will always give us this way out I mean, I remember when I was in middle school, high school, uh, I was, you know, my parents sat me down at one point, and they're like, hey, look, you, there might be times where, like, you're, you know, friends, you're in a group, and they want to, like, go to a thing or do something, and, and you're not going to want to do that. You're not comfortable with that, or you don't want to, like, you know, participate. Like, you can always use us as the bad guy. You always, you can always just play the, like, oh, my mom or dad, like, need me to go home or whatever. Like, my parents aren't gonna let me go. Like, you can always just make us the bad guy. Let us be your shield. Let us be your defense. And I remember hearing that from them when I was, like, 13. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm a man. I can stand on my own. Right? Like, I don't, I don't need that. 
I'm off of the bottle. Like, I can, I can handle myself. But sure enough, I get to, like, high school, like, low, mid-high school, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, there are times where I was, like, there, you know, we're, like, going to do something, or there, we're rallying the troops to go do this, and I was, I had to do it. I was like, you know what? This is great. Like, I can just use, I can just play the mom card, and I can just get out of this. I remember there was a time where I had, like, we had this, like, girls ask the boys dance, the Sadie Hawkins dance at our high school, and I, this girl asked me, and I really didn't want to go with her, and so I was just, I, like, went to my mom and was like, hey, I'm going to ask you if I can go, but, like, don't let me go. She, my mom was like, okay. I was like, can I go? She's like, no. And I was like, oh, sorry, my mom said I can't go. Like, that was, that was it. And then the girl wrote me a note, and it was really sad. But that's another thing. All right, so there was a way of escape. And God has said, I want to give you this defense. I want to give you this escape. But there's a part of us that doesn't lean into that because there's a part of us that wants to be self-dependent. Self Right? We don't want to be, we want to be like strong on our own merit. We want to do things on our own. Right? There's a part of us that just desires that for whatever reason. God wants to defend us, but we want to be self-dependent. And we don't want to be weak, right? Like I, in middle school, man, that was one of the worst insults you could ever receive. If someone was like, weak, dude. Like, oh, oh. or even worse, that's weak sauce. Oh, just, oh. And there's a part of us that wants to believe that we can do it on our own when God is so clear. He's so explicit in saying, just trust in me. Just, just accept my help. Come to me in humility. Come to me in dependence. And I'll give you a way out. Or I'll give you the strength to endure the way through. Right, so as we look at these requests, you know, as we see the ways that God wants to meet our needs, as he wants to give us peace, as he wants to provide the protection that we desperately need day to day, you know, this is something that we're not just praying for ourselves independently, but what we also see in Scripture is this charge to be in prayer for the needs of one another. Paul says that we should count the needs of one another higher than our own. And so we're not just praying for ourselves, but we pray for each other. We advocate on one another's behalf. That's an incredible opportunity we have as the family of God, as the body of Christ. And so one of the ways that we're doing that here at Southwood, this idea that was brought to us by, by one of our members she was like, hey, I would love to put together a dedicated prayer room, a dedicated prayer space here at Southwood, where just on a, you know, starting out just on a Sunday morning, we have a few volunteers during the nine o'clock, a few volunteers during the 11 o'clock service who just go into the space and they pray. And we give them some directions, some tools, maybe some like prayer cards, like what you saw on the screen earlier this, uh, this morning. But we want people to be able to step in there and pray for the provision and the peace and the protection of our gathered body on a Sunday morning. And I was like, yes, let's do that. Let's definitely do that. So we're doing it. And we'll start in a few weeks. Uh, but in order for this to work, we need volunteers. We need people who are willing to step into this role of serving through prayer, of praying for the, our local body, of praying for our church. And so if that's something that you'd be interested in, if that's something that you'd wanna be a part of, uh, we actually have, there's a little card in the back of every seat uh, that has like a few different QR codes and, and one side or the other of this card says like serve or how to serve or serve with us or something like that. So I'm gonna serve. And it's got a little QR code. And you can scan that and it'll take you to a form where you can just give us your you know, contact information and then you can check a box, I think it's the top box on the list, for prayer. And I would just encourage you, if that's something you would be willing to do, if you'd be willing to step into that role with us, we would 
greatly appreciate it. I, I think this, is, this can be a really powerful ministry here in our church, to be consistently in prayer for one another. So I'd encourage you, whether it's you know, now or later, take the card with you. You can also just find it on our website, but, but I would encourage you, consider, is the Lord leading you to serve in that way, to pray for the body, recognizing that we are all dependent on him as his children. So as we close this morning, uh, we're gonna sing one more song and we'll have an opportunity uh, not just to express our dependency on the Lord through song, but we'll also, I, I would like for us as we prepare to sing to, to express our dependency on the Lord uh, through some guided prayer. And so if you'd be willing, uh, we're gonna take a little bit of an extended time in asking the Lord to show up, to asking the Lord uh, to provide as he's promised to do uh, in these three key areas of his provision and his peace and his protection. So if you would, please join me in prayer. God, we are thankful that you have shown us, God, your mercy and grace through uh, your word. That God, through the life of Christ, that, that we see that you are a loving father who loves to give good gifts, who wants to step in the gap and, and provide the protection that we need from spiritual attack from the difficulties of life. That you're a God who has already secured perfect eternal peace through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. That you're a God who, who wants to hear from us, who wants us to be in prayer because in doing so, we remember the truth that we are dependent on you. And so if you would, let's take some time right now just in the, in the kind of quiet and stillness before we sing, to ask the Lord specifically for his provision. To ask the Lord specifically to meet a need that's coming up or that we're feeling right now. To, to provide the protection that we know is, is so necessary in a current struggle or in one that's coming up. To ask the Lord specifically to forgive us of, of sin that we've committed to help us forgive others who have done us wrong. So I don't know where we are. I don't know where we're coming from, but, but the Lord can draw our attention to one of those things. And I would just encourage you, let's, let's take this time to kind of just open our hands and say, God, prompt me, show me, what, where am I needing to be dependent on you? Is it in your provision? Is it in your protection? Or is it in your peace? Ask him for that. And then take that need before him. Ask him to move, ask him to provide as only he can. So let's pray that individually as we prepare to sing.